Check, 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 check. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're so happy you're here this morning, and happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. So why don't we all stand and worship our Father in heaven this morning. the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory above all kings this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you would lay down your life that I would be set I sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King of glory. Who with the nations with truth Justice, who left the sun in all of its brilliance. 
Um, let's take a quick minute. We're going to watch a video that's going to give us a quick update on what's going on at LJCC. Welcome you to our amazing service. Uh, if you want to pull out your amazing bulletin, you should have got on the way in and open it up inside. You'll notice on the front cover, there's a little portion for you to fill out a prayer. We are a church rooted in prayer. So if you want to fill out that prayer request, then during the offering, the ushers are going to come by. You can tear that little baby off and drop that right in the little usher basket. Uh, we as a staff meet every single week and we go over individually every single one of your prayers. We believe that prayer has power and every prayer gets prayed over. There's no prayer that's too big. There's no prayer that's too small. It could be as simple as, God, I pray I have a nice day to anything that's going on in your life. Please fill out that prayer card. It just allows us to connect with the congregation, to unite as a community because prayer is real and we have seen amazing changes in people's lives because of prayer. So please go ahead and fill that out. Take some time and drop that in the usher basket we'd be happy to pray for you and your family so you may have noticed the sanctuary is a little quieter this week because of the lack of some uh, crazy individuals but we are currently all driving up to Hume Lake and Forest Home to enjoy an amazing week uh, just spending time with Jesus and with the students um, we could use tons of prayers we go up there just prayer for safe trip uh, prayer that every student would interact with God in a, a special and unique way camp is a fantastic experience but the students only get out of it you know what they put in so I, I would just ask that you pray for each and every one of the students that are going up that their hearts would be transformed that they would find the Lord in a new and personal way because this camp can set the tone for the rest of their life and we need you to partner with us to make this experience as great as it can be so 
So if you wouldn't mind praying for us over the next week, if you think about any of the students that are up there, that we would be safe, we would have tons of fun, and that we would get to know the Lord personally and individually. So everybody in here loves sweets. I, unfortunately, love sweets a little more than I should, but this is a fantastic way to indulge in some sweets and not feel guilty about it. So following both services today, there are gonna be an opportunity for you to partner with the women's ministry. They've got a bake sale that's gonna be happening. So please head on out to the patio after either service, spend some time enjoying some amazing sweets and supporting the great women's ministry that happens here. They do all kinds of events, like the women's tea, they go on retreats, um, they, they do, uh, they have meetings where people come in and share their testimony, but none of these events can take place without our help supporting this amazing ministry. So if you would like some sweets and also would like to support an amazing ministry here on campus, please join us on the patio and purchase some delicious, delicious treats. Will you please join me in prayer this morning? And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me, here and your soul shall live. And he showed me a pure river of life, clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Father, we come before you this morning in need of a refreshing by your spirit. You say in your word that you will pour out your spirit on all flesh. So, Father, in the name of your Son, Yeshua, we ask that you will fill us anew with the breath of your presence, with the living water that flows from your throne, that we may eat that which is good, so that our soul may delight itself in your abundance. So, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Father, I stand before you this morning as a husband, as do many other men here today, you speak in your word of the love of a husband for his wife that mirrors the love that your son has for his bride, the church. So, Father, I pray that as men and husbands, we will honor you by loving our wives as you and your son love us, that we will give ourselves up for them as you did for us, and that in every way we will cherish and nourish our wives, partnering with you to create a home that is a haven from the chaos of the world and a sanctuary of peace in which our families can grow and thrive in the knowledge and love of you. And father, do not provoke, and fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So lastly, Father, for those of us here today who are earthly fathers, we pray for the strength to be unwavering in the example we set for our children, that we will do all that we can to prepare their hearts for the spirit that you desire to pour out on them, and that as fathers, we will not, through our own sinful natures, provoke our children, 
but rather that we will commit to maintain safe and loving homes where they can be brought up in the training and admonition of the Lord to love and serve you and to walk in your presence all the days of their lives. And Father, as our students leave for camp, please send your angel before them to keep them in the way and to bring them into the place that you have prepared and that you will create in them clean hearts, renewed and steadfast spirits. In the name of your Son, Yeshua, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you. Well, happy Father's Day to all you fathers. I have an interesting factoid to share with you. Uh, in the dictionary, you'll find father located between fathead and fatigue. The, if you look it up in your dictionary, literally, it says fathead, and then it says father, followed by fatigue. I don't know who wrote the dictionary, but I don't know what they were thinking about. But it's quite offensive to all fathers, so I'd like to speak out right now. Never, ever consult the dictionary again, um, because so it is in the dictionary, so also in life. Uh, it's possible as a father, unfortunately, to veer off into fat-headedness and to stay mired in fatigue. So hopefully uh, the message of the morning will speak to both of those potential conditions. And I want to start by uh, reading some words from Jesus to all fathers who could possibly, potentially be fatheads and very fatigued individuals. So this is from um, uh, Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible called The Message. So this is Jesus speaking in Matthew 11. He says, Are you weighed down, tired, worn out? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. And if you don't know the Lord, if you come to him and get away with him, you might just discover your life. In fact, you will discover your life. He goes on to say, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Isn't that a great line? Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. What does that mean? Well, grace, uh, somebody said, is an acronym of sorts. God's riches at Christ's expense. So G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a great way <coughs> to frame grace. God makes available to us all the resources of God that would otherwise be just beyond our grasp. And so uh, what are these rhythms? It's learning to live in a rhythm of holy work and holy rest. What, what does holy mean by adding that to work and rest? It doesn't mean being religious. It means being alive. It means being connected to the living God. And so in our work that can, can really make us tired and discouraged, <clears throat> we find a whole other level of resilience and resourcefulness as we approach our work in Christ. Uh, as we approach our rest, our rest is no longer something that immobilizes us or, or, or takes us out of the game. Lots of times people think they're resting when they're really just uh, burying their problems in, a, in, in substances or distractions that really don't get to the real rest that they need. So here's an amazing thing, that we in Christ can learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And he says this then, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that powerful? I love the way Eugene Peterson has, has taken a deep dive into the language and, and re refreshed the language without distorting the meaning of those original uh, texts. <clears throat> and the, and the gist of it is this that Jesus provides us with customized gear. It's not a one-size-fits-all faith that he, he calls us into. It's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
but he customizes our experience of him to where we are, where he meets us and where he wants to take us. So he provides us with customized gear that allows us to lift more, uh, go farther, uh, and prevail longer. My best intentions are just not enough. Uh, maybe you've heard the proverb, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I really mean well. I want you to judge me on my, on my, my motive, but unfortunately you judge me on my behavior, which is so obvious. And so we learn skills from him that allow us to use those resources, that gear, wisely. And what we notice is this. The difficulties don't get easier, but, it, but our strength and our capacity and our staying power increases over time. <clears throat> if you've ever had the experience, by the way, today is Carbohydrate Sunday. Go out and buy your carbohydrates and support a good cause. But every Sunday is CrossFit Sunday. Every Sunday is CrossFit Sunday. We come in to, to refresh ourselves by working out with the Lord by walking with the Lord. <clears throat> and, and when you first start, it feels overwhelming. But then you realize, my gosh, as you get in the rhythm with him, this rhythm of work and rest, you look forward to it. You realize, my gosh, I'm getting more fit in him. But it doesn't feel burdensome. Yeah, I still get tired. I still face big challenges. But I face them from a whole different perspective. So that's the, the, the thing that the Holy Spirit makes possible. <clears throat> it's the Holy Spirit that makes this work. Again, it's not me saying, okay, finally I'm going to get it together and I'm going to do it right for God. It's rather saying, Lord, I know you want to do it right in me. How do you do that? And what he tells us in Scripture makes, it makes it a big point of this in the resurrection. God raises up Jesus from the dead, defeats death and even the curse of sin over us. And then what does Jesus say? I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a power that will comfort you and challenge you, will take you where you could not otherwise go. And the Holy Spirit will teach you about me. And so the Holy Spirit makes this work as we choose to follow the Lord. So there's a volitional component to this. We, we have a choice to make. <clears throat> the, the Holy Spirit does not impose himself on us. God does not impose himself on us. He invites us. He calls us. Yes, he even commands us uh, to walk with him as his friend. And so we're shaped by our choices, literally. You know that's true. You know that you are shaped by your choices. That's why every parent is really concerned about who their kid hangs out with. <clears throat> and, and it's the chagrin of every parent that you realize it's your kid that is causing all the problems, maybe. You know, that, oh my gosh, it's my kid that the parents are worried about hanging out with. Uh, but every parent thinks their kid is the one that I don't want them to be influenced uh, you know, in ways that would hurt them. Because I know the, the, the friends they commit themselves to, the activities they commit themselves to, uh, will shape them. Choices matter. Our brain, you know, all brain science. I mean, we live in one of the most amazing places, both for... Uh, Surgical issues with the brain. Uh, UCSD is one of the world's great places for, for cardiovascular stuff and for uh, um, uh, neurological kinds of things. But what's even more wonderful about this area is that there's a lot of deep study being done about the brain. And one of the things we know about the brain is the brain has plasticity. It has the capacity to adapt. And, and your brain can, 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 can reframe around things that, like a garden does. What you water and what you care for in your garden will thrive and grow right? And so, so is the mind. The mind can be, be shaped and changed by the choices we make. And so that's what this neuroplasticity is about. It's saying that as we make choices, as we make commitments, not only is our brain changed, but our character is shaped. So this is what Jesus is calling us to do as we, as we learn to follow him. And this is the question that Joshua put before Israel. A Joshua, in a sense, the name sets us up for Jesus. Joshua literally led the people into the promised land, and, and Yeshua, Jesus, leads us into this new covenant uh, by God's grace. So what was Joshua's question to the people? 
Who will you serve? After spending 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, preparing the people to enter this promised land, this land of promise, promised by God to them, he still has to stop them and say, now think about it. Who will you serve in this land? It's not the land that's the big focus. It's the one who's leading you into the land. Who will you serve? And so that's what, what Joshua says in Joshua 24. He says, now, fear the Lord. And I won't unpack this completely right now, but, but you've probably heard me say, perhaps other people say, the fear of the Lord is a much more profound word than our word fear. It's not cringe before the Lord. It's like the dog that's been beaten, and when somebody goes to pet the dog, the dog you know, does this sort of a thing. To fear the Lord is to have an overwhelming, right-sized sense of the awesomeness of God. Anybody who would say, I would never fear the Lord, until you get in his presence, that's easy to say. <clears throat> and so the idea of fearing the Lord is to be overwhelmed in the best sense possible of his awesomeness, his power, his majesty, his love, the radiant glory that is him. So now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. This is the first big decision we make. In this sense, it's a binary. Are you going toward him or going away from him? And you have to ask yourself that question every day. All these kids are going to camp, fantastic. Some of them are going to come back and say, I, I, I became a follower of Jesus at camp this, this week. <clears throat> if they don't grow, if they don't now walk toward Jesus every day, it won't matter 30 years from now if they said, oh, no, I don't believe any of it, but I did become a Christian back there at Jim Lake or Forest Home. So it's a binary. It's a, are you choosing? Are you choosing? Are you redirecting? That's what repentance is. Redirecting, realigning with the living God. Yeah, you might say, I made a, a decision. I went to a Billy Graham crusade, and I, I came forward. I, I, a friend of mine led me to Jesus by praying to receive him. I had a moment of epiphany, of a, awareness and awakening to God, and I, on my own at the beach, I, I said, okay, Jesus, I believe in you. But then it's a series of choices to realign with that. And so... Uh, the first decision we make is yes, and then the second decision we make is yes, and the third decision we make is yes, and the fourth decision, the day after that, it's yes, as we choose him. There are many gods, Joshua is saying, but there's one God. And this is the great Shema, the hear, O Israel, in Deuteronomy 6. Shema, listen up, Israel. The Lord, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? So one God, not, not many gods. And so Joshua is saying, Look, you're surrounded by all these gods, but will you serve the one God whom you should fear because he is the awesome God. He's made this promised land possible. So, but if, you, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, he says, which is an interesting phrase, what could possibly be undesirable about the one who saves you out of slavery and brings you to this perfect promised land? <clears throat> Remember when they first came to the promised land, they sent some spies into it uh, before the 40-mile the walk. And they, they, they said, this is the most abundant and fruitful and attractive place I've ever seen. It's fantastic. God kept, it, kept his promise. This is truly the promised land. But there were some among them, like eight out of the ten spies, they said, no, it's, they're big dudes and they're very scary looking. Now here, 40 years later, they're still looking at some big, scary looking dudes. And Joshua's saying, who will you fear? Those dudes? Or the major dude, right? Are you going to serve the God, the, the God who has saved you or these false gods that these people are invoking? And so what could possibly be undesirable about serving him? Well, this touches on our reluctance to trust God. That's our core problem as human beings. We are reluctant to trust God. Why? It's fear. Having rebelled against God, 
we are inherently fearful of God. We're so attracted to him, but we have this approach avoidance thing going on. I, I'm attracted, but I don't know. Everybody who's, who's had a tough uh, dating relationship says, I'll, I'll never do that again. And, and as, soon as, they, as soon as they say that, they're going, hey, that's, he's, he's kind of cute. She looks kind of interesting. We so want to be in this deep, intimate relationship with the living and loving God, but we're afraid, and we're reluctant to trust. And this is the root of every sin plaguing humankind. <clears throat> What's the source of every sin? It's our reluctance to trust God. So if you're wrestling with a temptation, and you're not going to trust God with helping you uh, face that and work it through, what will you do? You'll pursue that temptation. It'll lead you to a disastrous situation. We call that sin. And it compounds the, the whole issue of your lack of trust in God. If you had trusted God to say, look, Lord, I feel like doing this. I know it's not right. I know it's not your word. I know it's not good for me. It'll destroy my life. I just can't help myself. I, I, and in fact, I can't even trust you. This puts us in a spin cycle of despair that, that Jesus was addressing. Come walk with me. Come, come work with me. Find your rest in me. And that's what Joshua is saying. Who are you going to keep your eyes on when you come into this promised land? God is leading you right now into a land of promise where you keep your eyes on him so you don't miss the promise in the land. Because the promise of every new place that we go in life is that the Lord meets us there. So he says, then choose for yourselves. If, if, if it's undesirable, you have choices. You have choices. Here's your choices, he says. Choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, the Euphrates River. That's when Abram was called out of uh, the area we know as Iraq, Iran, that area on the other side of the Euphrates. With, they're worshiping gods, false gods. And God says, hey, I'm taking you to a better place. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let all the nations on earth know about me through you and the people I'm going to raise up through you. So those were the gods Abram left. Then they're taken into slavery. They're taken uh, in, they, they go to Egypt to find food. Over time, they're enslaved, and now they're forced to worship these false gods in Egypt. So he's saying, look, you've had two experiences historically with gods, false gods, the ones over there across the Euphrates, the ones down there in Egypt, up the north of you and the south of you. If you're going to not trust in the living God, those are your options. How do those look to you? Uh, and so, you, they, they, you know, the, maybe, maybe some of the people would say, I'm familiar with this one, but I'm not familiar with that one. You know, sometimes people say, well, I'm not going to trust in God, but I am going to fulfill my deep need to be spiritual. And they might do it with that which is familiar, or they might do it with that which is exotic. It doesn't matter if it's familiar or if it's new. If you're in an elevator that's hurtling down the shaft, uh, it's going to crash regardless. Gee, this is a new elevator. I didn't expect this. Or, gee, this is the trusty elevator I take all the time. You were in the wrong elevator. Uh, you were in the wrong shaft, for sure. And the, and the Proverbs tells this. There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So this is what Joshua was saying. Hey, if, if following the, the living God does not seem desirable to you, you have options. These or these or these. But they all lead to the same place, death. Uh, that's the crazy thing, that oftentimes we say, yeah, I think I'll... I'll take this version of death. Why do we do this? Again, we're so reluctant to trust the living God. But Joshua says this, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. <clears throat> now, this could sound to you boastful. Well, we are so have it so together, we're going to do this, to act with you guys. But it's not. What it is is this. It's a humble confession of faith. He's saying, look, I've been leading you. You've trusted me to bring you to the border of this promised land. 
You've, you've told me that you'd go anywhere I lead you. I can't make you go anywhere. You've chosen thus far to follow me, to trust me. I'm telling you, don't trust me. Trust the living God. That's what I'm going to do with my family. It becomes a confession of faith. Isn't that a beautiful picture? At his height of power, Joshua says, keep your eyes on him, not me, because my eyes are on him. So he's saying, I will accept God's gift of life and trust in him. Hey, let's go there together. Let's go there together. That's the beautiful picture we have here. Well, now, choice. Let me just say one more thing about choice. Choice uh, is both a noun and a verb. The noun of choice is this. Look at this choice fruit. Right now, it's so fantastic to go to a farmer's market, to go to the grocery store. Uh, the fruit is so beautiful. And everybody wants the choicest fruit, the best vegetable. Uh, I mean, and then you start thinking, wow, what can I do with this? Every great chef, he or she will go to the, the farmer's market, to the place where they buy produce, and they go, oh my gosh, what, what's here? What am I going to make out of this? They want the choicest thing. And then the verb is they have to choose. Is it this or is it that? So what does choosing the Lord look like and live like? That's what I want to spend the rest of our time on. <clears throat> and to do that, I, I want to turn your attention to Ephesians chapter 3. This is Paul writing to these people in Ephesus, and he's writing his prayer out to them in a letter so they could see how he's praying for them. And as I walk through it with you very briefly, I want you to think of it as a prayer for you about you. And so it's this. I pray that out of his glorious riches... Christ may strengthen me with power through his spirit in my inner being. This is how we start to choose the Lord and, and what it looks like and what it lives like. I start praying like this. Out of his glorious riches, I, um, I pray that he would strengthen me with power through his spirit in my inner being. So that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith. It's this sort of expression that is now changing the way your brain is oriented. Your brain orients to this new declaration, this confession of faith. Your brain starts saying, there's another option. I don't know if I can go there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put words to this, this yearning that I don't even know how to articulate. I'm going to use Paul's words. In this process, the, the way God has designed us is that our neuroplasticity sets us up to choose for him. And as we start to choose for him, we start to follow the direction that we're facing, him. So that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith. I wonder what that would look like. What would I need to do to unpack that, to connect the dots with that? I know. I'll ask that person I know who walked with Jesus. I'm going to go to the person I know who walked with Jesus. I'm going to say, hey, um, I shock you to know this, but I'm really serious about pursuing this relationship with Jesus, and I know you do. So I'm praying this prayer. What does this mean? All of a sudden, worlds open up to you. And I pray that, that me, that I, being rooted and established in his love, like, a, like an organic you know, relationship, a plant, like a building established on a firm foundation, I might have power together with all your Lord, your holy people, that I might find the power of, of you in the, in the presence of you, in the powerful presence of you in me and a community around you, so that I could grasp, that means I could comprehend I could fully understand and experience how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Are you with me so far in this prayer? <clears throat> and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So it's kind of a play on words because he uses the same word uh, in two forms. To, to gnosis, this love that surpasses gnosis. That it's not just knowing in my head, it's knowing in my very being. 
And, and this, this, this love that I can learn to understand and, and, and know is actually, as I get deep into it, it's beyond my knowledge. It's beyond my capacity. It's not irrational. Love is not irrational. Christ's love for us, his unconditional love, is not irrational. But it is supra-rational. It goes beyond rationality. Because immediately about hearing that God loves me unconditionally, I say, okay, so what's the condition? What's the catch? Uh, there's no catch. Well, then how does God love me unconditionally? And I find that I can't get there. It's just beyond my, my, my capacity, my comprehension. So here's this knowledge that God has given me about experiencing his love that goes beyond my capacity to fully understand it. This is the beautiful thing about trusting in God. It's not a foolishness. I'm going to put my brain in neutral. I'm going to defy rationality. It's that with my rational capacity, I'm seeing that God is presenting to me something that is an incredible gift that invites me into this mystery of walking with him that I can practically experience and test in the real world. And yet it goes beyond anything I can understand, really. And it puts me in a place of dependence on him. It doesn't make me weak. It makes me strong. It doesn't make me insecure. It makes me confident. Do you see those, those paradoxes that start to shape up? And you think, wow, I've never been smarter, but I'm more willing to say, I'll trust you. So if, you're, if, you're dis, if your skeptical friend says, I've seen you grow in this relationship with Jesus, and you're just different, and I, it's better. I don't know that I buy it, but it's just better. Can you explain it to me? And you say, I'm not sure. Well, what kind of faith is that? Well, I can only explain it to you if you're willing to open your heart and your mind to him, because that's what I had to do. I can't talk you in or out of anything. Are you open? Do you want to believe? Remember, Jesus asked a guy that. He said, hey, uh, Believe. And the man said, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Because he said, can you heal me? And Jesus said, well, do you believe I can heal you? So it wasn't putting it, back, putting it back on the man to say, it's up to you if you're healed, because only you can heal yourself. No. That's what a humanist would say. A new age person would say, oh, yeah, see, the power, we're all, we're all divine. No. The Lord is saying, will you cooperate with my purposes for you? Mm, depends. Well, when you've resolved that, let me know. A friend of mine says that when uh, he's a marriage and family therapist, when people come to see him, they say, look, all this rigmarole about me telling you my life story and, and, and uh, you borrowing my watch and tell me what time it is in my life, can you just cut to the chase and tell me what I should do? And my friend tries to explain to them, this is a process of helping you come to understand who you are, where you are, and have some aha moments, and I facilitate that. No, okay, it's fine, I get that, but I don't want to spend weeks and months and all the money. Just tell me what I should do. And so what my friend has come to is this. He says, okay, no, no fear, no problem. That's a fair request. I just have one condition, and that is, if I tell you what you should do and you don't do it, you will pay me $10,000. And they go, whoa, I don't know about that. Why don't you know about that? I might not want to do it. Right. But if you let me facilitate a process of discovery from you, for you, when you get to that place of discovery, it will be the very thing you want to embrace. Because it's emerged out of this conversation we're having. It's not me talking you in or out of anything. And so to know this love that surpasses knowledge means we have to start saying, Lord, you know everything I don't. Teach me what I need to know from your word, through your spirit in me. So what's the point of this? That you may be filled to the measure of the, all the fullness of God. Again, a play on words here. That you may be filled to the fullness. That you might have what God alone possesses and what God wants to give to you. This is the payoff, so to speak. This is the end game. This is where your choices take you. Either you're full of God or you're full of 
I don't know. Um, you, you're full of you. Uh, it's your choice. But if you want to live the life God has for you, choose him. So um, let, let, let's just now talk for the remaining time we have about the nature of this Holy Spirit. Because this is probably one of the trickiest things for most people to get their head around, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Disney's Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is officially open. Have any of you been yet? Did any of you, you've been? Okay. So are you going to go? Yes. Okay. Has anybody made a plan to go? Hands up? Nobody? What's wrong with you people? <laughs> you don't want to go to the Galaxy's Edge? When you, you can go to UTC anytime. Go to the Galaxy's Edge, you know. Um, so anyway, it's officially open. May the force be with you. And so here's the thing. The force will definitely be with you at Disneyland. The force of the crowds, the force of the lines, uh, the, the force of the prices. It's outrageously expensive. It's just, uh, it looks to me like hell on earth, really. It's going to be really fun to go. But the idea of being with a zillion people in a tight space and waiting in a long line um, with people in funny costumes, that's just not my kind of thing. But some of you are total Disney people. I won't even now ask who has a, who's ever owned a season pass. I don't want to know because I know some of you already who've owned the season passes. But this idea of the force is so attractive to us. We're so captivated by it. That whole series of movies captured a whole culture around this idea of, ooh, the force be with you. What is this force? And the force is George Lucas's version of Joseph Campbell's ideas regarding the power of myth. Anybody know the name Joseph Campbell? If you've ever taken a class in comparative religions, you can thank or curse Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell is the father of comparative religion in this country. In, in the 30s, he started teaching at Sarah Lawrence College, and he, he became the self-appointed authority on all things uh, religious, and wrote all kinds of books, and uh, George Lucas is one of his big fans. And, and Campbell's idea about myth is this. Myth is anything that's a creative, non-literal story. So anything that is a creative, inspiring a story is, is to him non-literal. It didn't really happen. It's not historical, but it's really moving, and therefore it's interesting. Buddha, Jesus, they're all the same. So virt virtually everything that, is, that, that would be interesting and inspiring to human beings, King Arthur, they're all myths. And you can assign whatever meaning you want to it. So the force uh, is George Lucas saying, oh, that's cool. I believe that. I like that. So George Lucas said, I, uh, as an acolyte of Joseph Campbell, said, I want to create a movie around that concept, a modern myth invented from scratch, and that's how we got Star Wars. And so the force, according to the Star Wars approach, is an impersonal force of human power. Now you might think, well, who cares? Why are we talking about this in church? Because this is at the heart of, of our modern culture's understanding of faith. This shapes faith in this country and in the church in America more than anything in the Bible right now. And I'll say that again. More people get their theology from Star Wars who go to church and say they believe in Jesus than they do from the Bible. So I'm talking about this to help all of us reframe why this is not a good idea. I love Star Wars. The first time I saw it, I thought it was awesome, especially because there was a line down the block. And as I was walking from the front to realize the line, all of a sudden I heard my name called, and the kid in front taking tickets was a kid I knew. And he goes, hey, are you coming to the movie? I go, yeah. He goes, oh, come on in. I'm like, okay, thank you having no idea what I was going to see and apologizing to 5,000 people behind me. As I sat in that theater, I thought, this is awesome. This is awesome. But I was a believer in Jesus. I thought, this is awesome and crazy because, man, the Holy Spirit is way better than this. So the force is impersonal. It's the collective energy of the galaxy. 
it can be co-opted by people who understand how to do that. So therefore, Darth Vader, or Dark Vapor, whatever his name is, uh, Darth Vader, Obi-Wan, Kenobi, and Luke all fight to control the Force. Obi-Wan, Luke, Yoda, they're all on one side, and you know, Darth is on the other. But it's, a, it's an impersonal force. They're trying to fight over who gets to manipulate it and apply it. So George Lucas, Joseph Campbell see the Holy Spirit as another myth, and for them the Holy Spirit is as fanciful as the Force. And by the way, he did sell to Disney for billions of dollars. There's a force to be reckoned with there for sure, right? It's just another way to entertain us and inspire us so that we can see our own inherent power and we can harness our power. So if somebody said, man, uh, I'm a follower of Jesus, I was, feeling, I was in a real funk in my faith, I went to see Star Wars and I came out really inspired about my faith, that's possible. And that counts. Why does that count? I will tell you that any movie you go to see that has any message of hope in it will make you encouraged in your faith. That's how God works. You read literature, you read a, a novel, you see a movie. God uses those creative things to reboot our thinking. So it's, there's no downside about saying, I was totally inspired by Indiana Jones. I was completely inspired by somebody or something. I heard somebody quote Napoleon Dynamite the other day. Guy goes, peace out. I said, oh my gosh, Napoleon. He starts laughing. He goes, yeah, Napoleon Dynamite. Okay. Whatever works is great. The problem is the core thing is the core thing, and that's where we're going here. What if the Holy Spirit points to something actually true? What if the Holy Spirit is actually true, not an impersonal force? What if there's a larger reality at work in the universe beyond Campbell's small, one-size-fits-all view? What's funny, later uh, when Indian scholars understood that Joseph Campbell was appointing himself the, 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 the the big spokesman for Sanskrit language and, and Indian myth, they were ticked off. They were so angry. They said, this guy doesn't know anything about Indian stuff. He spent six months in India, and he's an authority on India. Give me a break. So any human being trying to tell you that they're going to explain everything uh, you know, comes up short pretty quickly. That's why, as followers of Jesus, we say, it seems that the Word of God is revealed to us. It's not something that we developed. And it confronts us with stuff that we can't control. So how is the force different than the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God, according to Scripture. No one is equal to God. Therefore, the Holy Spirit cannot be co-opted by people. That's why when a guy named Simon um, Magus walked up to Paul and said, I'm loving what I'm seeing you do in those healings. How much will it cost me to get that power? And Paul, the apostle, said, it's not for sale. When Sceva and his seven sons saw uh, Peter and Paul casting demons out of people, they thought, that's awesome. I'm going to do that. And they went up to a person who they perceived to be possessed of a demon, and they said, hey, demon, out. And the demon, through this person who's afflicted, says, I know Peter and I know Paul. Who the heck are you? And the scripture says the demon then, through this man, beats him up, and the seven sons to the point that they're running down the streets naked. This is actually in the Bible. You don't make this stuff up. It's in, in the book of Acts. So the Holy Spirit cannot be co-opted by people. And so, uh, therefore, you see Spielberg is a better theologian than Lucas because in Raiders of the Lost Ark, what happens? These guys, the Nazis, steal the Ark of the Covenant, and when they open the lid, what happens? The Spirit of God comes out and destroys them. They can't co-opt the Spirit. So God connects us it connects with us through his Holy Spirit. For what purpose? Here's three things to consider. One, the Holy Spirit is God's personal commitment in fulfilling Jesus' work in creation on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return in glory. 
The Holy Spirit is God's commitment to, to fulfill all that Jesus did. Jesus ascends into heaven and he says, I'm leaving the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Two, the Holy Spirit bears witness to Christ as God incarnate and empowers us to bear witness to Christ as well. So we're called to enter God's kingdom as his beloved sons and daughters by faith. So the Holy Spirit bears witness to God incarnate, Jesus, and it calls us to bear witness as well. Third thing, the Holy Spirit implements Jesus' redemptive work in us, giving us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He gives us gifts of the Spirit that equip us for ministry to, to make an impact through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. So those three things, God personally saying, I'm sending my Spirit to continue what I've initiated in Jesus, um, that, that the Holy Spirit then bears witness to Jesus and, and raises up witnesses out of us to say, yeah, I've experienced this too. And then working in us, the Holy Spirit gives us the fruit of his Spirit, his presence, and these gifts that come through his Spirit in us. So the Holy Spirit never, though, draws attention to himself. That's why if you see somebody making a big deal about their dreams and their visions and their capacity spiritually, and it's drawing attention to them or their control of the Spirit, you go, That's, there's something bogus about this. You can have an experience of the Holy Spirit with dreams and visions, prophetic words, speaking in tongues, any number of things, healings, miraculous events of all kinds. They always, 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 when they're authentic, point to Jesus. Always glorify God, never glorify people. They bless people, but always glorify God. How so? Signs and wonders, evidences and experiences of spiritual power, always given to glorify God and to reveal Jesus as Savior and Lord. So if somebody says, I have this, vi I have this vision, and it's not about glorifying God and bearing witness to Christ. It, it's maybe a compromised vision. So he says, I have a dream. I have a word of knowledge from God. And it doesn't glorify God and turn you to Jesus and his word. It's a bogus, uh, counterfeit uh, uh, spiritual experience. So we get Jesus by being filled with his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit opens our minds and our hearts to God. And the Holy Spirit sets us up to make better choices by helping us to see what we couldn't otherwise see. So let me give you an, an analogy, a series of analogies. The Holy Spirit, like a telescope, a telescope isn't used to see itself. It's used to see the universe. You don't pick up binoculars to see something in the near distance, and, and you'll, you look through it, you see the binoculars. You see whatever you're focusing on. A microscope allows you to see things that would be otherwise impossible to see naturally. When you look in the microscope, you don't see the microscope. You see whatever the microscope is focusing on. Uh, we don't wear glasses to see our glasses. Uh, MRIs don't give you a picture of the MRI machine. X-rays don't give you a picture of the X-ray device. See, the Holy Spirit allows us to see things and then moves us from seeing those things to participating in the work of God. Did you follow that? So the Holy Spirit, in that sense, is personal but instrumental. It's always saying, this is where to go. This is where we're taking you. This is what it means to walk with God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the Word. This is how we grow. We are baptized into the Holy Spirit by faith in Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit enters into us. So we enter into the Holy Spirit at our baptism by having faith in Jesus and baptism. So you're now you're in the Holy Spirit. But as we start to walk with God and grow in our faith, our knowledge of God, the Holy Spirit enters more deeply into us. That's why you can have successive experiences through your life of being filled and refreshed by the Holy Spirit. Somebody, somebody says, oh my gosh, I've been a Christian for five years, but I've just experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's a wonderful truth. It's just misconstrued theologically. 
They don't know how to articulate it, so they're, they're saying something that isn't actually theologically accurate. When you're baptized into Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. It's in you. But as you respond to God and his word, then the Holy Spirit, is, in a sense, is deepening into you. It's a, another analogy would be this. You go into a restaurant, you smell the food, you go, oh my gosh, it smells so good. You see the food, oh, it looks so beautiful. And then you eat the food. You entered into the restaurant, but it wasn't until you ate the meal that you started to benefit from what that restaurant is. So this is what it means then to walk in the Holy Spirit, is that plan on being filled and refreshed by the Holy Spirit as you go. But know that the moment you say yes to Jesus, and, and, and we, we formalize that in baptism, the Holy Spirit is in you. Now you can grieve the Holy Spirit by ignoring the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit by, by disobeying God. But at the point that you start to say, I'm palms up to you, Lord, like some of you read Jesus Calling. It's a wonderful devotional book because it's constantly focusing you about saying, okay, what does it mean to be palms up to God? And as we start to be more sensitive to what God is doing in us by repenting of our sin, confessing our sin, receiving grace, practicing forgiveness, growing in our love, walking in truth, we start to become more aware of the Holy Spirit. And when those times of refreshing come, we're not freaked out and go, what's this? Or a dream or a vision pops in your head, and you go, what's that about? It could be that you're just now saying, oh my gosh, it's the Holy Spirit. What do I do now? Powerful, powerful, powerful. And so choosing to serve the Lord is how we grow up and make our best choices in life. This is where this all goes. The Holy Spirit allows us to make better choices in life. It's the choice not to walk out of your marriage. It's the choice not to walk out of uh, something that you've committed to that is now just hard. When in doubt, revert to Matthew 11. Oh, Jesus, you've given me something that will allow me to bear this in ways that I can't bear it naturally. So men, let me end with this since it's Father's Day. Men, here's the message of Father's Day. Walk in the Spirit and you will become a man for others rather than being merely a man for yourself. A man in full is a man for others, not a man for himself. Let that sink in. Jesus makes men out of boys. Conceiving a child does not make you a man or even a father. It means you've conceived a child. We have an outrageous incidence in our country right now of a bunch of boys of all ages conceiving children and not being fathers. Having a child does not make you a father. It makes you um, a donor. Boys say, who will take care of me? Perpetual boys for their whole life say, who will take care of me? Well, now who's going to take care of me? Who's looking out for me? They've never bothered to say, Lord, I know you're looking out for me. I know you're caring for me. Because that would allow them to grow into manhood and potentially fatherhood. Men say, who can I care for like Christ cares for me? You see the difference in that? A man says, I have no idea what to do. Lord, show me what to do so that I can care for people in your name. A boy is perpetually saying, hey, God, come up with somebody who's going to care for me. It's a profound gap that only God can fill. You become that kind of man by choosing the Lord. The Holy Spirit makes us into those kinds of men. And this is not right now to put you in a sense of recrimination, oh, I'm not a good enough man, I'm an unworthy man. We all are. 
The fact is, at any point that we say, Lord, I want to be your man, and I want to be your man for others, everything changes. You become that kind of man by choosing the Lord, one day at a time, every day of your life, for your whole life. And by the way, I'll, I'll finish with this. By the way, godly fathers are formed by God's Holy Spirit working through other godly men and women. So if you find that you're growing in your capacity as a man, and, and, and though you wouldn't maybe call yourself a man of God, you know that you're a man in God, with God, and for God, and, and God is doing something in your life, there's a man somewhere around that you need to thank. Nobody becomes a man on their own. Men help other men become men. Men, true fathers, help boys become men. Mothers help boys become men. Heads up girlfriends, heads up wives, heads up sisters help men move from boyhood to manhood. So, godly fathers are formed by God's Holy Spirit working through godly men and women. Thank those men and women that God has used in your life to help you become the man you are and who God will use to help you become the man he wants you to be. And if in, in, along the way, you're blessed out of, a, out of a committed relationship called marriage to have children, may you be the father that God is shaping you to be to bless those children in a way that would allow them to grow up and keep doing that as well. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working in a men who have chosen to serve the Lord. So Lord Jesus, that's our prayer, that we would be those men that we'd be that kind of community that would nurture those kind of men, that would raise them up, would love them, would <clears throat> walk with them patiently, constructively, giving the kind of feedback that won't crush their spirit, but will shape their character. That's our prayer. And now as we come to you with our tithes and our offerings, as we continue to worship you by presenting ourselves to you, Lord, I pray that each man here would, would in, in, in their own way, in, in the silence of this moment, as the music plays, as we continue to worship you, that we would ask that question, Lord, what is it that you want to do in me to make me the man that you want me to be? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you. Uh, if we can pray for you, for anything that's uh, on your heart and your mind, for you, for somebody else, uh, go out around the corner. Uh, there'll be somebody in the prayer garden to pray with you. If you want to tell them what you want prayer for, great. If you don't, just say, pray for me, and they will, they will pray for you. Uh, and so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. How great the Have a chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your Declare.
in your name. 